0: Wow! it is great to be here this morning. I'm so excited to celebrate again week two in person. Uh, I'll tell you what, if you would, I know you can't shake hands. We can't do anything like that. We can't hug. Eventually we will. But just turn to somebody, look at, give them a glance and just give them like an air high five or something, okay? (laughs) Air fist bump. I mean, if we can do renewing of vows on Zoom, we can air fist bump and air high five, right? I mean, did you ever think we'd be renewing vows on Zoom you know, I don't know if you saw Dave, my brother Dave, the lead pastor, in his, in his suit and tie. You know, that's an unusual sight right there. If, if he's got a tie on, it's, it's either a funeral or a wedding. It's one, it's one or the other anymore. Oh, man. Anyway, great to be here today. Thanks for joining us and celebrating today. And I, I just want to say thanks to, to Ben and um, the guys, I mean, just Mark and, um, oh, my goodness, Eric, I'm so sorry. And, Erica, can we just express our thanks to them for leading us in worship? Man, Uh, We had a few challenges with the sound, but man, they just stepped right up this morning, plowed through it, and I just appreciate you guys leading us. And I just feel like, you know, God is present, He's good, and uh, He is at work. Jeff, thanks for your words, too. I appreciate that. You know, we're talking about temptation today, and so I thought I'd get us started with a little bit of a game, uh, Would You Rather, all right? All right. You guys familiar with that game, Would You Rather? All right, if you're not, you'll, you will be after this, all right? Uh, so just kind of bear with me. This is food edition, okay? Would You Rather, food edition. So here we go. Would you rather have mac and cheese or grilled cheese? Mac and cheese or grilled cheese? I'll tell you what. Uh, if you'd rather have mac and cheese, raise your hand. Okay, if you'd rather have grilled cheese. Ooh, I think grilled cheese wins. Look at that. Who would say, I don't want either one? <laughs> oh, really? Everybody likes it. Okay, all right. How about this one? Would you rather have French fries or onion rings? All right, raise your hand if you would rather have french fries. All right, who would rather have onion rings? I think french fries might have won now. I think some people are voting twice. You know, it's funny thing. I don't know if it was like this in your house, but when I was a kid, no kidding, uh, onion rings were like a special treat. And so, like, if you went out to McDonald's or some other restaurant and you get a hamburger, like, you could get fries. That was kind of like the natural thing. But if you wanted onion rings, I mean, that was like an upcharge for onion rings. So my dad would never let me get a soft drink then. So if I got onion rings, it meant I had to drink water. Anybody else like that? Have a cheap dad like my dad? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Last one. How about this? Okay. We're going to finish off with dessert. Would you rather have ice cream or cake? All right. Who says ice cream? All right. Who says cake? I think ice cream might have one. Who says, well, I'd rather have my cake and eat the ice cream too? Of course. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Whew, I don't know about you, I'm all of a sudden very hungry. Anybody want to go to brunch? <laughs> we talk about food every week here, so just get used to it, all right? I'll tell you what, speaking of food, I want you to take a look at this. We had some fun with the kids at Community Christian Church. Enjoyed this video. Oh, man, that's funny stuff right there. Poor kids, torturing them. <laughs> all right, so we are talking about temptation today, if you didn't guess it. And it kind of reminds me of something uh, a famous movie star, Mae West, once said. She said, I generally avoid temptation unless I can't resist it. <laughs> I generally avoid temptation unless, of course, I can't resist it. And sure, you know, I think we can make fun of ourselves when it comes to temptation. But I think we'd also all agree that the truth is temptation is not a laughing matter at all. As a matter of fact, the Barna Group did some research a number of years ago and found that 44% of Americans admit they face temptation to overuse electronics and social media. 44% of Americans say they face the temptation to overuse technology and social media. (laughs) I'm saying the other 56% were lying. How about it? Okay. Over half of us, 55% of us, are tempted to eat too much. Well, that's because their pastors keep talking about food every Sunday. And finally, they reported that 60% of us live with a noticeable and debilitating temptation to worry. 60% live with a noticeable and debilitating temptation to worry. Well, I'm glad you're here today because we are in week four of this series, The Jesus I Never Knew. And in this series, we're focusing on a side of Jesus that many of us overlook. We're looking at his humanity. I think most of us focus so much on Jesus' divinity, that he was God, that we sometimes disregard his humanity. And that can be quite problematic because when we forget Jesus' humanity, we fail to see him as someone that we can relate to. We assume we didn't experience many of the limitations and or temptations that we actually face every single day. And if Jesus can't relate to our humanness, then he becomes less and less of an example for us to follow. That's why talking about his humanity is so vital. Because you see, Jesus was not superhuman. He wasn't superhuman. He wasn't like Wonder Woman or Superman, you know, who would say, okay, I can fly, now you try it, but not giving us any superpowers. No, Jesus wasn't like that, no. In fact, the writer of Hebrews describes Jesus this way. Check this out. He says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let that sink in. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those, he's able to help us who are being tempted. Jesus was sinless, but yet he was still tempted. And so somehow, while maintaining his godness, he became fully human, and in doing so, shows us what it means to be fully human. Don't forget that. He maintained his godness, but in his humanity was able to show us what it means to be fully human, even when it comes to temptation. Now, I think the best place for us to look at how Jesus handled temptation is when he began his public ministry. Now, you might think that he would begin his ministry, you know, get it off the ground by delivering some big speech, right, or or perform some jaw-dropping miracle, But on the contrary, historian and Dr. Luke writes, this is what Jesus did. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Not much of a way to launch your ministry, huh? Go to the wilderness for 40 days. Be tempted by the devil. But that's how he began it, in the wilderness for 40 days. And although we don't read it here, we know from other accounts that he fasted that entire time also. So no food for 40 days. And it's over the course of those 40 days that Jesus faces incredibly intense temptation. And the evil one, the devil, begins this barrage of temptation by saying, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. But you know what? This line of attack is nothing new. From the very beginning of creation, the evil one's strategy to get us to fall is to create confusion about our relationship with God. That's his number one tactic. Create confusion about our relationship with God. And I know sometimes we think of the evil one, you know, in a cheap costume from the dollar store. But no, he is way, way more crafty, way, way more cunning than that, folks. He knows where to strike. And he often goes after us where we are most vulnerable. And so often that's our identity. So it's no surprise here that he goes after Jesus' identity, These three temptations that Jesus faces are all attempts to get Jesus to believe lies about his true identity. And the first temptation, the evil one says, and again, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. If you're the Son of God, I mean, how hard is that? Tell this stone to become bread, right? I mean, if you're who you say you are, do something special. Get noticed. It's the performance lie. The performance lie and it's the evil ones attempt to get Jesus to believe the lie that says I am what I do I am what I do I mean think about it Jesus is at the very beginning of his earthly ministry maybe kind of like a, a fresh college grad right out of school getting ready to start their first job wanting to make a really good impression right I mean ever been there? You know you're starting a new job and you really want to do something that kind of makes you stand out. Helps people recognize that you are something special, right? We we've probably all felt that at one time or another. Well, interestingly enough, right now in this place no one really knows yet who Jesus is or what he can do. And so in some ways this would be a great opportunity for him to burst onto the scene with, you know, something extraordinary. And to make matters even worse, Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting. And so, you know, to turn that stone into lunch, I mean, that's a pretty big temptation, right? But even more tempting than hunger, the evil one is challenging Jesus to do something significant to prove that he is somebody. And that's exactly what the performance lie is all about. It haunts us with questions like, well, what have you really achieved? What have you really achieved? I mean, how will you prove your worth this time? How are you going to beat what happened last time? I mean, what makes you think you're so valuable now? I'll tell you what, I think this performance life has been pervasive, especially over the past year or so. Are you with me? Through COVID, I mean, i got to tell you honestly, right or wrong, I mean, as a pastor for the past several decades, you know, I pretty much built my schedule around Sunday morning, you know? showing up welcoming people teaching and doing all the stuff that pastors do and then boom all of a sudden last march everything changed we're no longer able to be together and honestly i'm a little embarrassed to admit it, but it started raising some questions identity questions like i mean how do i prove my worth you know uh, what really does make me valuable to this community what do i actually have to show for all the work i have put in for the past 20 plus years now, I'm no recent college grad, but I think this past year, maybe more than ever, I've been battling with this performance lie that says, I am what I do, in part because I haven't been able to do what I've always done. But how about you? you never struggle with a performance lie, you know, that you are what you do. Yeah, I think all of us do on some level, right? I mean, you know, it's great to love what you do, but your identity cannot be rooted in what you do. In fact, theologian N.T. Wright comments this way. Check this out. He says, it is a central part of Christian vocation to learn to recognize the voices that whisper attractive lies. To distinguish them from the voice of God. And to use the simple but direct weapons provided in Scripture to rebut lies with truth. Let that last line there sink in. To use the simple but direct weapons provided in scripture to rebut the lies with truth. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He doesn't fall for this temptation. No, he fights back with truth from scripture. And he says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. He's quoting the Old Testament and he uses scripture to rebut these lies. He refuses to perform and instead reaffirms his dependence on God. But of course, the evil one's not deterred. And he comes at Jesus with a second lie. And this one's the power lie. The power lie. And the power lie says, uh, I am what I possess. I am what I possess. And here's how Luke describes this temptation. Uh, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it'll all be yours. How about that? Power. Power is such an attractive temptation. And no doubt, as Jesus' story unfolds, he is powerful. But there are different kinds of power. And the power that the evil one is trying to tempt Jesus with is coercive power. So instead of the life dedicated to service, sacrifice, and suffering, the evil one is saying, hey, you know, skip all that suffering and serving stuff and just impose yourself on everybody. And you know, I think when we look around at our city and our nation and our country and our world, and I think we have to admit when we look at ourselves, so much evil comes from this temptation of power. You know what I'm talking about? So much evil comes from this temptation of power. We so easily fall for the power lie that says, hey, the way to be somebody in this world is to rise above the others. You be the one who imposes your will on somebody else before they impose their will on you. That's how you get the power. And it can be subtle sometimes, you know, like when those with privilege take advantage of their position rather than come alongside those who are often overlooked. That's power, coercive power. I mean, it's giving into that lie. that says, I am what I possess and I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to get what I want. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, that's where the real power lies in serving. That's where the real power lies. Well, the evil one comes after Jesus with one more temptation. This one's the popularity lie. The popularity lie. Uh, this is the temptation to believe I am what others think of me. A- anybody struggle with this temptation? Come on, let's go. <laughs> Show of hands. Of course. Absolutely. And in this temptation, the evil one leads Jesus to the top of the temple and challenges him to jump. After all, no better way to amass all sorts of attention and followers than to do something spectacular, right? Right? I mean, the temple was the center of Jewish uh, life in that day. I mean, cause a stir there and everyone will notice. And notice how the evil one starts this final temptation. Once again, he says what? Help me out. He says what? If, right? If. If you are the son of God. He's attacking, attacking Jesus' identity once again. If you really are somebody, show everybody. It's the popularity light. We used to call it peer pressure, right? And we kind of think of it as though it's reserved for junior high and high school. Not true, is it? No, we know better than that. The popularity lie exists and goes on, doesn't it? Even as adults. Somehow I thought maybe that wouldn't be a problem for me once I got older or grew up. No, it doesn't get any better. I think we all, to a certain degree, want to be liked. We want to be accepted. We want to be in the in crowd. You know, it's funny uh, where we live on our street. We live in an apartment on one side, and across the street are these row houses. And over the course of the past year or so, I think we've had like three or four new couples move into those row houses, and it's interesting because they're very chummy together, and it's almost like we've got a new cool kids club right across the street from us, and Lisa and I have yet to break in. Not that I care. (laughs) No, I want in, right? So I can invite them to church, of course. (laughs) But we want that, don't we? Yeah, it doesn't go away. We want to be accepted. We want to feel like, you know, we belong. Man, it's so tempting to fall prey to the lie. I am what others think of me. And so the evil one tempts Jesus with this popularity lie. And he says, if you are the son of God, then show everybody. And what a great temptation for the evil one to go after Jesus where he's vulnerable because right now at this point in Jesus' life, he hasn't performed any miracles. He hasn't calmed any storms. He's not fed the 5,000. I mean, a skydiving stunt from the, you know, Jerusalem's equivalent of the Sears Tower. I mean, that would be a great thing to do, right? Think of the attention he would get. But Jesus refuses to believe he is what others think of him. And he responds this way. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put your Lord, the Lord your God, to the test, man. Evil one has a way of going after us where we're weak, doesn't he? Performance lie, I am what I do. Power lie, I am what I have. Popularity lie, I am what others think of me. Oh, so tempting. But Jesus doesn't fall. So so what really empowered Jesus to resist these temptations? What was it? Stay with me here, okay? Because if you back up one page in Luke's story of Jesus' life, just before he was led into the wilderness to be tempted, you find Jesus at the Jordan River. What happened at the Jordan River? Do you remember? Anybody? You could say it out loud. Yeah, he was baptized. Yeah, Jesus was baptized. Yeah. His baptism is right before he endures these temptations in the wilderness. And and Luke tells us that just as Jesus was baptized, a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Man, a voice from heaven. He gets baptized hasn't performed any miracles, hasn't spoken in front of crowds, hasn't really done anything, but God says, look, you're my son, I love you, I'm so well pleased with you. How did that have to feel? God the Father looks down and declares, this is my son whom I love, I'm well pleased. Long before any miracles or amazing speeches before he's gone toe-to-toe with the religious establishment long before he dies and comes back to life to save all of humanity he receives these life-giving words from the father that he has deeply loved and valued and it wasn't about what he did it wasn't about what he had it wasn't about what he said it wasn't about what others thought of him he hadn't really done anything at all he hadn't spoken much at all he didn't have anything at all Jesus was able to resist some of the same temptations that you and I are faced with because he was secure in his identity as God's beloved that's what made the difference and I'm passionate about this because I struggle with it so much myself if I could only hold on to that my true identity I wouldn't fall prey to those temptations as much as I do well it's been quite a few years ago I was in Russia of all places It was really kind of cool to be there. And I was working with some pastors who've given their life to blessing that part of the world. And one of the men gathered there told a story about him and his dad. And he said that one time uh, when he was a young boy, he went with his father, and his father was speaking and training a, a larger group of men at another setting. And he said that he was at that setting. They were all kind of gathered. Imagine a room like this. His father was up front. He's training these other men. And he said, as a kid, I was kind of half listening, half not, as you can imagine, when all of a sudden his dad introduced him to the other men in that room. And he said, this is my son Andy, in whom I am well pleased. His dad was quoting God's words about his son Jesus and using them to introduce his own son. That had happened like 30 years ago prior and i'm telling you when this guy told that story tears came down his cheeks because he knew in that moment he was loved by his father and he held on to that for the rest of his life and and see here's what we got to remember god the father bestows that same identity on you and on me And when we accept the amazing offer of grace from our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, we are given a new identity as a child of God. In fact, Jesus' close friend and follower, John, said this. He said to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. When we choose to follow Jesus, we're his children, we're his child. And that promise right there assures us that we don't have to buy into the lives of the evil one. That promise assures us that we can rest in who God says we are because in the same way he looked at Jesus, he looks at me and he looks at you and he says, you know what, Tina, you are my daughter whom I love and you I am well pleased. Mark, you are my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Barb, you are my daughter whom I love and you I am well pleased. That's what he says. Steve, <laughs> you are my son, whom I love, and you I'm well pleased. We got to get that in our heads, folks. That's how God looks at us. That's how he feels about us. That's who you are. And I don't know, maybe you're thinking, okay, that feels really good to be loved by God, but how do I put that into practice? Because talking about it is is one thing. And living it out is another thing, because we never know when the evil one's gonna come after us, right, with these lies. I mean, it could be, you know, a harsh comment from a trusted friend, an unexpected reply on social media, or, or maybe no reply at all. We were talking about that earlier when somebody, you know, just doesn't respond. You start to believe lies, right? Don't you? Sometimes it all it takes is a glance in the mirror and you notice something you hadn't noticed before and you, or something missing that was there before, whatever it might be, I don't know. But you start believing lies, right? I mean, we do that. Well, the best advice I can give is to do what Jesus did, and that's to remember who you are and to remember whose you are. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, one of the leaders in the early church, gives some very practical advice. I want us to kind of land here, and then we're just going to kind of soak this in for a few moments as we come to a close. James wrote this. He said, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is a, a passage of Scripture that I've been allowing to replay over and over in my head probably over the last six or seven months. Submit yourselves then to God. Say that after me, okay? Submit yourselves then to God. Yeah, say say it again one more time. Get out of your way. I mean, it sounds simple, right? But so often we either forget to do it or we just don't really know how. Because it sounds good, right? I mean, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, he will flee. All right, check the box. Temptation gone. So what I want us to do this morning is, is practice this just a little bit, Okay. For just a few moments here in the quietness of this hour, we're going to ground ourselves in our identity by reflecting on Scripture like Jesus reflected on Scripture. That's how he overcame temptation. Because Scripture is God's word to us. It's, it's what God says about us. It reminds us of our identity and will give us victory against the lies of the evil one. It really will. All right? So I'll tell you what. Uh, just get comfortable wherever you are, okay? Make sure you're, you're sitting in a, in a comfortable way, all right? You guys, you know... Don't stretch out on the floor or lay down or anything, but just get comfortable. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, do me a favor. Uh, Take take a deep breath in, okay? A real deep breath in. Use your diaphragm, all right? Got that one in? All right, now exhale. Boy, that feels good, doesn't it? We're going to reflect on some scripture, and as we do, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to impress upon your heart the truth of your identity, the truth of your belovedness. So there's gonna be like five or six scriptures and I'm just gonna read it. I want you to just try to let it soak in and maybe you need to pick one of these that becomes your theme verse as you seek to resist the attacks of the evil one, his temptations. But more than anything, just recognize what God says about who you are and whose you are as we walk through these scriptures, okay? If you wanna close your eyes, if that helps, you can. I'll read them. Or if you want to read them yourself along with me, they're going to be on the screen. John, one of Jesus' closest followers, wrote these words. To all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. We are his children. That makes us brothers and sisters. Yeah, that's who you are. Part of the idea of us being brothers and sisters is that we're not facing this on our own. We're in this together. That's why we come here on Sundays. That's why we connect in small groups, so we can collectively resist the attacks of the evil one. But don't forget, you're a child of God. Paul wrote this in a, a letter to the church in Galatia You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, you are his child i tell you what, say that after me, okay? I am his child. Yeah. In Ephesians we read, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God's got good stuff planned for you. You're his masterpiece. Another translation says you are a work of art. In Psalms we read that uh, the psalmist says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I want you to feel that deep down in your soul that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then in Romans, Paul writes, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You're no longer a slave to sin when you find freedom in Jesus. Doesn't mean you won't face temptation. You will. But you can find freedom in Jesus because you are his child. Uh, if anybody would like those scriptures, I can be happy to send them to you. Just send me an email, Ferguson at communitychristian.org. I'll make sure you get those. Um, but I hope you use those as a reminder um, to fight the temptations of the evil one so you can experience the freedom that Jesus wants you to experience as you recognize that you are God's child. Thank mm-hmm. you.